It was truly one of the hardest conversations I've ever had. My mom and dad have been separated for months. Uh, the issues that caused that separation and led my mom to ask my father just to go and, and make a call to a counselor and set up some time that they could talk through this and bring restoration possibly. Uh, I had even given him some names and numbers of people that he could call, but months had passed. And one day my dad came into town and we had lunch. And as we were visiting, uh, he painfully started to declare his love for my mom. And he was saying things like, you know, I love your mom so much. I value her so much. I just want her to be happy. I want the best for her. I, I would die for your mom. And he just started talking about how much he loved and valued my mom. And I just quietly listened, and I asked the Lord to give me the needed words for that moment. And then after a minute, this is what lovingly but boldly came out of my mouth. Dad, I know you love mom. I know you value mom, but you didn't love her enough to make one call. You didn't love her enough to just make one call. See, what happened was he didn't like the situation. He didn't like how it felt. He didn't like what was going on. And he was verbally declaring that he wanted something different. But there was not enough change in his heart to produce a change of direction. We would say there was a lack of repentance. Because there was no deep change in the heart, which led to a deep change of direction. So inevitably, that separation led to divorce. That's what happens when we dodge repentance. It leads to pain. It leads to devastation in our life. And when we embrace repentance, we put ourselves on the path to experience God's grace and mercy and opportunities for healing and newness and redemption. That's what's on the other side of repentance. Repentance is a change of heart that results in a change of direction. Repentance is not just a feeling of remorse or being sorry. Repentance doesn't happen when we cry. Repentance happens when we change. Repentance isn't merely changing out of fear of punishment. Repentance is not just acknowledging the wrong we do, but it's abandoning the wrong we do. Repentance is evidence through the span of our life. It's not the expression of a single moment. And no one can live a new life unless they repent of the old life. And as followers of Christ, it's part of our spiritual growth. Once we stop repenting, we stop growing. And so repentance is critical to a life living, pleasing to God. And so where in your life have you offered repentance? Where in your life do you need repentance? Is there an area in your life where you may be declaring verbally, you love God, you love the things of God, you value the things of God, but you don't love it or value it enough to actually have a change of heart? or to have a change of direction? What about when it comes to your moral integrity? Is there repentance there? What about your marriage and how you treat your spouse? How about your parenting? How about racial issues? How about greed? How about selfishness? How about pride or busyness? Has there been repentance in the area of sexual purity? What does repentance look like for someone who has been sexually harassing others? God has called us to a life of repentance. And the thing about repentance is repentance isn't about repentance. It's not about the person who needs to repent or even the act of repenting. At the core of repentance is the belief and the understanding that there is a perfect and holy God that is worthy of repenting to. Repentance is our acknowledgement that God is God, that he's holy, that he's sovereign, that he's judge, that he's master, that our sin, no matter how big or how small, offends him. 
Therefore, we humble ourselves before him and we let his power lead us to have a change of heart, lead us to have a change of direction in our lives where we are off course. Welcome to church. We're going to start light and easy this morning, you know. (laughs) Speaking of being off course, we're going to continue in this book of Jonah today in our Unleashed series. Jonah was a man called by God to go from the region of Galilee up northeast to a wicked city called Nineveh, modern-day Iraq. And he was supposed to preach to the Ninevites so that they could repent. They can experience repentance and experience God's mercy. But Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. He didn't want the Ninevites, the enemies of his people, Israel, to experience God's mercy. So he became defiant. And he went the opposite direction. He was way off course. And as we heard last week, he was traveling to Tarshish, modern-day Spain. And God created a storm that endangered the ship. And after deep uh, spiritual conversation and deliberation, the crew threw Jonah overboard at his request, and then the sea calmed down. And that's where we pick it up today. Open up your Bibles, please, and join me in Jonah chapter 2. Fire up your Bible apps, open up your Bibles, Jonah chapter 2. And as you're turning there, remember this, that the book of Jonah really isn't that much about Jonah. We tend to fixate on Jonah or fixate on the fish or whatever. It's, It's really not about any of that. It's about God. It's a story that captures God's heart to reach the lost and to make his mercy available to all people. That's what it's about. And so as we re-engage Jonah, let's answer this question together. Let's just look through this chapter two together and answer this question together. What can we learn about repentance from looking at the life of Jonah? So join me in Jonah chapter two. Just back up one verse. It's a very significant verse. The end of chapter one, verse 17 And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. That's a term meaning the grave. I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. When Jonah was thrown overboard into this raging Mediterranean sea, he was drowning. Imagine being thrown over into a raging storm on an ocean. This is what he's visually describing. And then I said, verse 4, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. And the waters closed in over me to take my life, and the deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head, and at the root of the mountains I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake the hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and vomited Jonah up upon the dry land. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thanks for the chance for us to come together. Lord, our intent in coming here is not merely to do church. God, we want to be engaged with your word. We want your spirit to invade our lives and speak to us. Make us more like Jesus. So Lord, whatever areas of repentance that we've had in our life, may we celebrate that because only by the grace of God can we even experience repentance. And Lord, for the areas that we need to repent, Lord, bring conviction. And Lord, stir our hearts that we would love and value your way, your relationship with us enough that change would happen where change needs to happen. 
In Jesus' name. We all say together. So what can we learn about repentance from the life of Jonah? First thing we can learn is this. God provides time for repentance. God provides time for repentance. After being thrown overboard into this Mediterranean sea, Jonah has a near-death experience by drowning, to which God sent a very large fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was, as we just read, in the belly of this massive fish for three days and for three nights. Now, I don't know about you, but I hope I would have repented a little quicker than Jonah did. Right? But for Jonah, repentance was not going to be instant. It was three days and three nights. And then we see this verse, then Jonah prayed. (laughs) Three days and three nights later, then Jonah prayed. God gave Jonah time, time to reflect, time to take it all in, time to struggle and then surrender. See, God is patient. He will wait to a point (laughs) for our hearts to change and to repent. God reveals to us through 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. That's where we say amen, that God is patient toward us. Aren't you glad that God is patient toward you? And he's not wishing that any should perish, but that, what's the word? All. That all should come to repentance. So we've got to take back the word repentance. Sometimes we hear the word repent, and, and, and some of us it's distasteful because we think of the guys on the street signs or the big giant signs, repent, repent. It's like their message is right, their method is probably not the best, right? Repentance is critical to us as followers of Christ. It's critical to who we are and how we live our life for Christ. God will give you time. He'll give you a little bit of time for that repentance. There is a timer. <laughs> there is a day when it's done, but there is time. And so God reveals our need for our repentance, where we need a change of heart and direction. He then allows time for it. And sometimes it takes us time to see our sins and to acknowledge our sins and then turn and repent from them. But genuine repentance will result in a changed life. Change will happen. Sometimes repentance will have immediate application. Sometimes it takes time. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like when we're walking and we realize we're going the wrong way, it takes, it takes less than a second to quickly turn around and go back the right way. Sometimes when God reveals things in our life that we need to repent of, it's, it's the same. Like, oh man, this is not what God wants, so I'm just going to turn, I'm going to go the other way. We, we have those little micro repentances or quick repentances all the time. Sometimes it's more like a bike. If you're riding a bicycle and you're like, oh, I want to turn around. You got, you know, you got to turn around without falling over, right? It depends on how much space you have and you know, how, how experienced you are as a rider. It takes a little longer to turn a bike than it does when you're walking. Or if you've ever had that experience where you punch in a destination with your GPS and you're driving and you miss an exit, and you've got to go like five miles to the next exit to get off the off-ramp, cross the overpass, back onto the on-ramp. To get... Sometimes our repentance feels like that, where we have to kind of you know, navigate this time. And sometimes it's like that big cargo ship. Man, to turn one of those bad boys around, it takes like, I don't know, a year or something crazy, right? You've got to slow it down, and, you know, micro degrees of turn, you know, and then you're facing the right direction. Then they have to regain the momentum, right, to, to get where it needs to go. And so God will give us time, and sometimes, uh, it, you know, it's going to take longer than others, but we have to make sure we're in the process of repentance and turning. Some of us are in that process of a turn. And God allows that time. And so slow turns are okay. No turns are not okay in the eyes of God. And so God provides time to get on board with what he's doing, with what he's calling you to or what he's calling you out of. God provides time for repentance. And so today is the day many of us need 
to offer repentance, to surrender, to turn around, to repent, and to experience a change of heart and a change of direction. Two, we see that God not only provides time for repentance, he provides a situation for repentance. The situation we see in the life of Jonah was the fish. Now, the fish is not the main character. People fixate on the fish. Yes, it's the component of Jonah that people struggle with most. Did God really have a giant, massive fish swallow Jonah? The answer is yes. And that's really not a big deal for those of us who believe in a God because without miracles, God's not a God at all, right? And so in comparison to parting the bodies of water and feeding thousands of people and calming storms and healing the blind, the deaf, the mute, and the crippled, and oh, this little thing about raising dead people from the grave, right? This is, this is nothing, <laughs> This is, this is nothing. This is child's play. And so the main character of Jonah is God, and he uses this fish to create a situation to accomplish his will. Jonah was being stubborn and defiant to the call that God gave him, and God was going to carry out his will to reach the Ninevites no matter what Jonah's feelings or preferences were. This is God carrying out his will. And so when Jonah ran away from God's call rather than to it, God created a situation to bring change to Jonah's heart and direction, a situation to see things the way God sees them. And as we heard last week, the fish wasn't sent by God to pay back Jonah for his rebellion. The fish was sent by God to bring back Jonah from his rebellion. And so this fish was a situation of discipline for Jonah. He needed to be in a situation where he became confronted with his own sin his own pride, his own defiance. He was put in a situation that would reveal the stubbornness in his heart and that he would come to learn submission and humility and obedience to God. There's a very interesting verse. It's found in Job 36, 15, another book where someone's learning through suffering, right? And here in Job 36, 15, it says, he, God, delivers the afflicted by their affliction and opens their ear by adversity. Just let that sink in for a second. Like, that's probably not some of your theme verse, right? I've never seen this tattooed on someone or like, you know, over the door of their home or anything like that. But this is important. God uses affliction. He, he uses adversity in our life to get our attention, to bring us about to a place of dependence on him and, if necessary, repentance. Affliction and adversity brings dependence and, when necessary, repentance. And so uh, God intercepted Jonah with adversity, not with the goal to be punitive, but with the goal to be redemptive. And there in that dark, nasty, smelly, claustrophobic gut of a fish, being bathed in gastric juices, constricted by slimy stomach lining, probably in and out of consciousness, Jonah had time for reflection, submission, and repentance. And what do we see him do? We see him turn to God. Look again at those first couple of verses. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. He said, I called out to the Lord, right? He's crying to God. Look at verse seven. He says, when my life was fainting away, we don't, we don't believe Jonah died in the belly of the fish. He, he might've gone in and out of consciousness, but he was not in a good way. And when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you. So this situation turned Jonah to God. There had to be moments where Jonah felt abandoned by God in this moment, but he wasn't. In fact, God was with him, and he now is acknowledging God's presence and how God saved him from drowning in the storm, which he so vividly described earlier. He's acknowledging that this is God's discipline in his life. Like when you look at verse 3, he says, You cast me into the deep. 
He's saying, Lord, it's you. I know this is your discipline in my life. You cast me into the water. It wasn't me. It wasn't the crew. It, it was you. Now God was using this fish as a situation of discipline to turn Jonah around. Now, I would agree with the theologians and teachers, Bible teachers, that would say that the work of repentance hasn't been fully accomplished here yet in Jonah's life. I don't believe that Jonah's fully repented. Personal, there's, there's, there's views on this. Um, here's why, for two reasons. One, I just don't hear Jonah confess sin. Like when you look at King David, and you look at how he wrote Psalm 32 and Psalm 51, and you hear David say things like, you know, my sin was always before me, and you know, I've sinned against you, and you, you, you hear David lament of his sin. Uh, in Luke 15, with the parable of the lost um, son, you, you see repentance. He's like, I've, I've messed up. And so you, you see this declaration and confession of what he did. I don't see that here in Jonah's life. That might have been in his heart. I just, I just don't see that. So it makes me hesitate to go, I think his ship is in the turn. <laughs> I don't think this was a quick walk right back. Through. I, think, I think there's a turn taking place here in Jonah's life. Also, because when you look at chapter 4, kind of a spoiler alert here. We'll see it in a couple weeks. Jonah has a little bit of a pout fest. You're not happy with what God did. And I think that revealed some stuff was still in his heart that God was working out through repentance. But this is a moment of change. This is a part of his repentance journey, maybe like the turning of a ship. He was in a difficult situation that God was using to bring him back. When you are in a difficult situation, a place to start to think that God's abandoned you, he hasn't. Maybe he has you in that situation, not to pay you back, but to bring you back. Not to keep you from him, but to bring you to him. We know that God is our heavenly father, the creator, the master of all things, loves us enough to discipline us, right? In Hebrews chapter 12, we're told that. Verses 5 and 6, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. Verse 6, for the Lord disciplines the one he hates. Is that what it says? No. He disciplines one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. You know, it's so interesting when, when, when we discipline our children, and then we say something like, you know, um, I'm disciplining you because I love you. It's so funny to watch my son and daughters kind of tilt their head like a dog who hears a sound that doesn't, it's like, what? <laughs> I don't get that. It's kind of like, this hurts me more than you. They're like, no, it doesn't. <laughs> You're not the one going without, you know, or whatever it is. And discipline is an act of God's love. And so some of the difficult situations that we're in right now, because some of you are in it, you're in the thick. Some of the situations you're in are a result of your own poor choices, right? But God can still bring repentance and redemption from them. He really can if you turn to him. Some difficult situations are just part of living in a broken, fallen, sinful world. Sickness, adversity, the sin of others impacting our lives. But despite that, God can still draw us close to himself. He can use these situations for teaching, to build strength and character, to bring healing and dependence on him. And like Jonah, some of the situations God has you in right now might be discipline, to instruct, to correct, to bring you back. Now, for Jonah to realize how far off base he was, it took this moment of being swallowed up and trapped to finally break him. I think the question we need to be honest with in our life is, what will it take to break you? What will it take for repentance to come into your life? Do you need to be swallowed up by a situation that's so far bigger than you are? What has to hit rock bottom before you're ready to surrender and let repentance have its work in your life? Does it take your marriage to blow up? Does it take your kids hating you? 
Does it take getting fired or being arrested or going to jail? Does it take that big accident? Does it take the hospitalization? What's going to be the moment that makes you go, that's it. This boat's turning. This bike's turning. I am turning around. You know, it doesn't have to get to that point. I mean, think about Jonah. He could have repented as he was walking to Joppa to catch the ship. He could have repented as he was walking down the dock toward the ship. He could have repented as he was counting out the coins to take the ride to Tarsus. Going, whoa, 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 never mind, never mind. He, he could have stopped the moment he was taking the step foot right onto the boat. He had all those opportunities. Nope, 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 nope. He wanted the storm. He wanted the fish. That's what it was going to take for him. Man, it's like, I wish I would learn the lessons before I even got on the dock, you know? Let repentance have its work. And so repentance doesn't have to be dramatic, but it does have to be intentional. And a lot of time it's birthed out of that place, that fish's belly in our life. Some of you might be feeling that today. Maybe you're just surrounded in relational tensions or financial troubles, or maybe it's emotion, you're emotionally stale or dead feeling. Maybe there's a lack of joy, there's overabundance of conflict, maybe there's painful consequences, or maybe you're just fatigued by just treading water in the sea of busyness. What's it going to take for a change of heart that's going to produce a change of direction? When is it going to be enough that you'll make change? I'll tell you what, a repentance mindset, a faith mindset says this, it's better to be in the belly of the fish with God than to be on dry land without him. That's the repentance mindset. I would rather be in this stinky, difficult, dark, slimy place knowing that God's with me than to be just walking along dry land and God's nowhere on the horizon. That's the repentance mindset. And repentance is not a once-in-a-lifetime experience. It's usually a daily activity, right? All of us, all of us need to participate in repentance. I love what pastor and author Paul David Tripp says about the church when it comes to this area. He says, the church is not a theological classroom. It's a conversion, confession, repentance, reconciliation, forgiveness, and sanctification center. Where flawed people, all of us raise our hands, right? Place their faith in Christ, gather to know and love him better, and learn to love others as he's designed. Isn't that a description of our messy family right here? This is our messy family. Yeah, even you, have, those of you online, you know who you are. Watching right now, like this, this is us, man. This is like, oh, I'm so glad this isn't just a stale classroom to learn content, but this is a place where we're allowed to be messy and we're allowed to have our ships turning together in some areas. As long as they're turning, God will allow that situation. And part of it is learning to love others. See, repentance isn't just for our benefit, but for others. Like, don't lose sight about why God created this situation. God's reason for doing all this to Jonah was to benefit the Ninevites. 500 to 600,000 people living in a city in northern uh, area of Iraq, in modern-day territory. That's why God was, it wasn't all about Jonah. It was about the Ninevites. It was for the benefit of others. And so God's plan was to reach the Ninevites. His dealing with Jonah was just a part of a grand scheme of a bigger picture. See, God doesn't just want repentance for you, but for all the others that are going to be impacted by your repentance. He's got a bigger plan. He's got a bigger scope. Like going back to 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. 
That means your children, your grandchildren, the next generation. It means your neighbors. It means those people that you live next to, work next to, do life next to. It means the nations. It means the millions of people trapped in false beliefs that they would come to know the one true God who's revealed himself through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so when it comes to others, maybe we as a community need to sift our heart for where we need to repent. Where have we as a community, as a faith family, drifted off course from being people of repentance? We say we love the next generation. We value them. Do we love and value them enough to more heavily invest and disciple and pray over? We say we love our neighbors. We value them as God would want us to. But do we love and value them enough that we're actually talking to them, learning their names, praying for them, you know, doing nice things for them and serving them? And when God opens the doors, sharing with them boldly and lovingly our faith. We, we say we love the nations, especially those that are unreached. Like, but do we love them enough that we'll actually get a passport and be on standby to say, I'll go wherever you want me to go, whenever you want me to go? Do I love them enough to actually ever go on a short-term missions trip? Do I love them enough to help send people on a short-term missions trip? Do I love them enough to, to pray for them and not forget them? Like, we say we love it and we value it, but do we love and value it enough? What situation do we need to experience as a congregation to maybe sift our hearts for where repentance is there needed because we're doing little or nothing to the things of God's heart? And so wherever we're running from God personally, wherever we're saying no to God personally, God will create a situation to bring repentance. And he'll give you time to work it out. And wherever we're saying no to God, maybe as a family, God will create a situation, I believe he has, where we can work through that and move forward. So God will give you time to repent. He'll give you a situation to bring repentance. And thirdly, God will provide a chance to act upon the repentance. God gave Jonah time. He gave him a situation. And then God gave Jonah a chance to act upon that. And Jonah knew it. Jonah's speaking hope of what's going to happen after the fish. Look at verse 4. He says, Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. One day I'm going to be out of this fish. I'm going to be back in Jerusalem. I'm going to see the temple. I'm going to worship God. I'm going to be out of the situation and do something in action. Look at uh, verse 9. There's several key indicators here. Jonah says, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. He said, my voice will be a sacrifice. I'm going to act upon what's going on in my heart. I'm going to act upon it. But we know that the voice isn't enough. There has to be action. Look at the back half of verse 9. What he says here. It says, I have vowed I will pay. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It is here in this moment that we believe Jonah likely did what many of us have done. God, if you just get me out of this situation, if you just make change here, I'll open up my Bible, I'll start reading the Bible again, I'll pray, I'll go to church, I'll, I'll become a missionary. God, just get me out of here, I'll do whatever you want. This is what we believe is taking place in this moment, that there's a turn in Jonah's heart and maybe it's not heartfelt obedience. Maybe it is mere compliance. Maybe it's temporary desperation. Maybe it's just several more degrees that his boat is turning, but we can look at this moment as a get me out of here and I'll go to Nineveh moment. <laughs> and even more fascinating is this proclamation that Jonah says, salvation belongs to the Lord. Like enter into Jonah's heart. Remember, Jonah's saying, I don't want to go to Nineveh. They don't deserve God's mercy. They don't deserve God's salvation. So I'm going to go the other way. I'm, I'm taking myself out of the picture. And God goes, no, no, you're not. 
And he brings Jonah back. Why? Because God values salvation for the Ninevites. And here in this moment, Jonah's going, salvation is God's business, not mine. My business is to be obedient. God does the saving. So if God wants Ninevites in heaven, then God's going to get Ninevites in heaven. This is what's happening here. He's saying, God's the author of salvation, not Jonah. Guys, there are people that we so desperately want to have experience salvation. There's so many people that we want to see in heaven for eternity. There's so many people that we want them to get saved and come to know Christ. But you know what? God's the one who's going to save them, not us. And if we're going to be really ugly and transparent, there are people that we hope aren't going to be in heaven. There are people that have hurt us, that are vile, whether we've seen it on a global or a national news feed or whether it's someone who's personally hurt us. We go, I hope that person doesn't make it. You know what? Salvation is God's business. His great mercy will go to whoever he deems worthy. And Jonah's surrendering this in his moment. And after this moment, after this moment, that's when the fish vomited up Jonah. Isn't that a beautiful picture, you know? <laughs> Wish I was there with a the little selfie opportunity, you know? <laughs> and then he was able to act upon the change of heart and have a change of direction. Just like Jonah, God's going to give us time to repent. He's going to give us a situation to bring repentance, and then he's going to give you opportunity to act upon that repentance. So here's some ways that bring application to our life even here. For some of you, you're watching online, you don't have a relationship with Jesus yet. You don't know if you're going to go to heaven if you die. You're missing out on the, the intimacy with God, the relationship with God. Some of you sitting here, same thing. You, don't have, you can do church, but you, you don't know how to do Jesus yet. You don't have a relationship with Christ. This is yet again where God's providing time and a situation to bring repentance in your life and to act upon it. And so maybe you're sitting here today going, the most appropriate application of what you just heard is to surrender and give your life to Jesus. You're not going to figure God all out and then make a decision. You can't do that. A lot of you that are wearing wedding rings, here's what happened. You stood across from a man or woman who you didn't fully know. You just knew enough that you were ready to commit your life to know more about them. And when you said, I do, you're like, I'm saying I do to what I know, and I'm saying I do to what I have no clue about. But you moved into the relationship. Look, you're not going to figure out God 100% and go, okay, he's safe, now I'm in. You just have to look at God and go, I know enough that I just say I do, and I'll keep learning the rest of my life. And so for some of you, it's time to say I do to Jesus. And just like Jonah professed it with his mouth, you can do the same thing. Jonah, when he had that moment of turning, he prayed. And you can pray. I don't need to lead you. No one needs to lead you. You can pray. And you can basically say these three simple things to the Lord. This will, if this will help you out, you can say, I confess. I confess my sin. I confess that, uh, God, my life has been offensive to you and I can't do anything about it. And so I confess my sin to you. I believe. I believe that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. And, and I believe that I can't experience salvation. I can't experience heaven. I can't experience forgiveness outside of Christ. I believe. And then you can say, I receive. I receive Jesus as my Savior. It's coming to me and help me live for him the rest of my life. That, that's as simple as that is. And then you dedicate your life to following Christ. And if you do that, we want to help you. And so in your program, if you're here, there's a response card. Just mark, I'm giving my life to Christ today. Turn that in the baskets that come at the end of the service. And we want to just follow up with you and say, here's how you grow in your new relationship. If you're online, you just email us at connect at cvconline.org and we'll get in touch with you. So maybe for some of you, that's the first application. For some of us, the next appropriate application is this. 
just repenting of the sin that's in our lives. Where are you saying no to God? Where do you keep running from him instead of to him? This is a morning where you can just say, Lord, today I repent. Today I take that turn in my walk, I turn my bike, I turn my boat, I turn my car, I turn my ship. Today's the day I make a turn. And you start to have that change of heart. You have the change of direction in your life. And then as a church family, there's a chance for us to act out of our repentance. We're, we're people that have been saved by the Lord. And so because out of our repentance, we want to help others repent, just like God wanted the Ninevites to experience his grace, we want everyone to experience his grace. As a church family, this Unleashed campaign that we have launched into really flows out of our heart that others would experience repentance. That we want people in the next generation, we want people around the world, we want people who live around uh, us and our neighbors in Northeast Ohio to come to repentance. That's the heart behind Unleash. That's why we picked Jonah, because we're tapping into God's heart to reach the lost. And so for those of you who are brand new, or for those of you on the front end, like what are you talking about? Just a quick snapshot. Unleashed is our two-year endeavor as a church family to raise $2 million in two years over and above our regular tithes and offerings. And we've split that into three initiatives. One initiative is we want to reach new people by launching new sites. And so we're going to launch campuses. We don't know where yet. We're not ready yet. We just want to be ready. And so we want to raise some funds, set them aside so they're ready to launch campuses. And uh, statistically, campuses and church plants reach new people for Christ and raise up new leaders. Well, let's see. We're a church. Do we want to reach new people for Christ? Yes. Do we want to raise up new leaders and put them into the ministry? Yes. So that's our heart. Second initiative, we want to translate a Bible for an unreached uh, people group. And so we have this uh, people on the on, on an island known as Pearl Island. That's not the real name because we can't tell you the name because it endangers those who are there doing ministry. But Pearl Island is the, is the island. The Soli people is the people group. Again, not specifically, but close. <laughs> and um, right now, we've got people that are starting to come to faith on this island. Three million people trapped in Islam. And the gospel's going in and people are starting to come to the Lord. And as those people start to come to the Lord, they're going to start to meet together and form a church. And if they form a church, they're going to want to open up God's word. Well, guess what? They don't have God's word in their language. How would you like showing up today and you don't have a Bible? You don't have one. And so imagine uh, providing God's word. What a legacy of faith that we can leave by translating a dialect for the solely people. And so Unleash is going to accomplish that. And also the next generations. We don't want to strap the next generation with debt. And so we've got some mortgage debt that we have, uh, just under 1.5 million. We want to get rid of it. We want to uh, you know, retire that debt and then repurpose those funds back into our ministry budget, especially for ministries reaching the next generations. And our children's, our youth, and our young adults. And so that's the heart behind Unleash. And so out of the appreciation for God giving us a chance to repent, we want to raise up significantly our sacrifice so that others can also experience repentance. That's what Unleash is all about. And so we love the next generation. We love the nations. We love our neighbors. But will we love them enough to sacrifice a little more, to reach more? That's the heart. You know, to kind of capture this, I want to show you a, a video testimony of a man. His name is Don. And Don Liscott founded an organization called Generis. Generis partners with churches to maximize their resources for God's work. Don had a defining situation. It wasn't based in repentance, but it was a very defining situation that caused a change of heart and a change of direction that I think will be very important for us to hear. So let's hear Don's testimony. 
helping churches with their fundraising efforts through the years, I've often heard the phrase, well, I wish we didn't have to talk so much about money. I just don't like so much talk about money. I understand that sentiment. I appreciate the comment. I just feel totally different about it. As a matter of fact, I very much want my church to talk about money. I, I very much want my church to challenge me at the point of money, uh, at the point of giving. Let me share with you why. I remember uh, vividly uh, the day my son Lance was, was born. Lance was born back in the days before it was uh, really appropriate for the father to be in the delivery room. Uh, a fact for which I will eternally be grateful. But it was, a, it was a small hospital, and they were kind enough to let me stand in the corridor right outside the delivery room, and I'll never, ever forget that precisely at 4.13 in the afternoon, I heard the unmistakable cry of a newborn baby, and I knew that was my son's first sound. A delightful nurse emerged from the delivery room and said, Mr. Lynn Scott, you got a fine baby boy, to which I replied, uh, yes, I, I, I know. But the warm glow of fatherhood soon dimmed. Someone said, uh, Mr. Lynn Scott, you need to visit the business office of our hospital. And there I made the rather unfortunate discovery they were expecting me to pay for this baby boy. As a matter of fact, it seems that uh, he may be held hostage until the bill was settled. So I took out my checkbook and I wrote a check and discovered what parents the world over discover. Children are expensive. I wrote the first of perhaps hundreds, maybe even thousands of checks on Lance's behalf. I soon discovered that there were uh, there was food and formula to buy and doctor's visits and vaccinations and diapers and toys and, and clothes. And, and, of course, about the time you'd get him in a great wardrobe, he'd grow just a smidgen and you'd have to start all over again. I discovered that as his age and size increased, so did uh, the expense. Soon it was baseball gloves and uh, ball uniforms and tennis rackets and... And then tragedy struck. Uh, Lance became a teenager and things really got expensive. And Lance had always and only wanted to be an architect. So w when it came to college, I did a little research and learned that architects go to school until they're uh, about 42 years old. And uh, you talk about expensive. I mean, the room, the board, uh, the tuition. The books, extraordinarily expensive. Uh, the drafting tables, the drafting tools. Uh, but we, like parents everywhere, did everything we could to support him. It was his life, it was his dream, it was his ambition. This was his vision, it was his, it was his goal. Had you said, Don, boy, you're really spending a lot on your son, we'd have said, well, you know, we're not sacrificing. We wish we could do more. It's what we're here for. We're his parents. Uh, we, we want to support him. And then one day Lance died. And on a bright and beautiful and uh, horrible uh, Halloween day, uh, we buried our beautiful 21-year-old son in our church's uh, little country cemetery. And that afternoon, I walked away from his grave. And since that day, I've never spent another nickel on Lance. That's how I learned it. Death is cheap. Death takes care of its own. It's life that is expensive. It's growth. It's vision that has to be funded. That's why I very much want my church to need money. I want to belong to a church where there's growth, where there's life, where there's vision, where there's a plan. I want to be challenged at the point of, of giving because I just don't want the alternative. I so appreciate Don's words. They challenge me personally. Look at areas of my life where I need to start thinking more like that. You know, Don finds himself in a situation that challenged him and that brought change to his heart and his actions when it came to understanding how our resources flow from our belief to what's most important. And he said, death is cheap. 
but it's life and growth and vision that cost. I'm so glad to be part of a church that for 30 years has been full of life and growth and vision, and we're far from done. And so it's going to take our heart to continue to be willing to sacrifice, continue out of, out of our repentance, out of our gratitude for God's forgiveness in our life, to continue to try to reach more of the next generation, more of our neighbors, more of the nations. Far from done. And so uh, as we continue in this Unleashed campaign, for those of you who are new, we just want to make sure that you can on-ramp well. Uh, this is a church family endeavor. If you're a guest, please feel no pressure. We're just inviting you into the information. Uh, we have put together a companion guide. Uh, they're, they're out in the foyer. Uh, make sure that you're looking at this every day, praying through the prayer targets we have in there and understanding exactly what we're trying to accomplish. We've also offered for free just a small book out there in the foyer called The Treasure Principle. It's just a great devotional read that we're in uh, while we're going through this series to try to understand God's heart for resources. Also, if you go to our website, there's a landing page for all things Unleash. Uh, you'll, you'll find uh, the link to you know, uh, weekly devotionals, the life groups, study guides, all our life groups are in and all those things, and hopefully they'll continue to move you. On November 5th, uh, as a church, we're going to have a chance to just make a giant commitment together for what we feel God's calling us uh, to, to accomplish. And so pay attention to that information in the Unleashed. But as far as repentance, the big message we need to make sure we're hearing today is this. Repentance is a change of heart that results in a change of direction. For some of you, that's salvation. For some of you, it's just saying, Lord, today I repent of. As a church, it's an opportunity for us out of our repentance, out of love for the Lord and wanting repentance for others, we sacrifice even greater and more by praying how we can participate in our leash. Here's what I want to do. I just want to give you guys a minute. I'm going to close in prayer. And then after I pray, I'm just going to give you an extra minute to just do some business with the Lord and say, Lord, today I repent of. And just fill in that blank, whatever that is today. And then Pastor Brian will lead us and worship after that. But would you pray with me right now? Lord, you are God, and your will is higher than our will. Your ways are higher than our way. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Your resources are beyond our resources. And Father, we constantly need to be reminded that we need to repent. Constant repentance in our life, Lord, that we keep straying and going off course. Father, would you call us back to a place of repentance? May repentance be a beautiful word to us, not a, not a gross word, not a hard word to hear, but Lord, a desired word. Lord, we pray right now for those online and those people here right now who need to give their life to Christ. Lord, would they repent of whatever they're trusting in for salvation and turn to Jesus. Lord, we pray for those right now, brothers and sisters, who are dealing with an issue, Lord, that today's the day they're making the turn. They're done. You've given them time. You've given them a situation. And today's the day they're going to act upon it. Lord, you're going to hear from them in a minute, Lord. God, we lift them up right now. Lord, thank you for the opportunity as a church body for Unleash. Lord, we continue to pray over it. Corporate prayer for a corporate sacrifice. Lord, we pray for our neighbors. Lord, help us to love them enough, value them enough to pray for them, reach out to them, give to reach them more. Lord, help us to love the nations, especially those who don't know you, Lord. Lord, may we be guilty of loving them enough to translate a Bible to those who have never heard or seen your word before. God, we pray for this island in Indonesia. Lord, help us to love them well and value them well. God, help us to love and value the next generation by how we conduct our marriages, how we parent and disciple them, how we pray for them, how we lead them, and Lord, even how we give so that they may have more spiritually, not just more 
trinkets in life, Lord, but more knowledge, more awareness of you. So Lord, right now, we commit this time to you, this invitation for people to pray and repent. It's for you and from you. And I just encourage you right now, just take this minute, just fill in the blank. Today I repent of. This is a moment for you and the Lord. Take it and use it wisely.